That's It Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing, performed by Duke Ellington and his famous orchestra. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. This is part two of our look at art in the neighborhoods of Washington, D.C. Last week, our focus was the U Street Corridor with its arts-driven revitalization. Today, we turn our attention to one of U Street's most famous sons, Duke Ellington. Simply put, Duke Ellington is one of the most important and influential musicians of the 20th century. He might have achieved national fame when his orchestra became the house band at Harlem's Cotton Club in the 1920s, but Duke Ellington's musical roots are deeply tied to his hometown of Washington, D.C. Claudia Roth Pierpont is a staff writer for The New Yorker magazine. Her recent long review about Duke Ellington was called Black, Brown, and Beige. I think one of the great things about D.C. in those years, the first couple of decades of the 20th century, was that there was, there was a lot of different kinds of music available. One of the really interesting things about D.C. was the school system, which was fairly unique in the country in terms of black public schools that were, of course, segregated, but that still emphasized um, racial, racial integrity, racial pride, and that meant that they taught not only African history, but African-American music. And the high school that Ellington attended, Armstrong High School, he says he was led by the principal in uh, African-American folk songs, which was very unusual for, I think, a public school in that era, needless to say. Kim Roberts is the editor of Beltway Poetry Quarterly and a cultural historian. Part of the reason why D.C. was such a center for African-American culture and African-American life, as opposed to New York, at least initially, was because uh, a middle-class lifestyle was much more attainable here. And the neighborhoods that were the historically black neighborhoods in the middle of the city were actually, the the property was owned by African-Americans. That was not true of Harlem. That was not true of a lot of, of New York neighborhoods where there were white absentee landlords. Here, you could really own property. There were a lot of institutions that drew a striving, growing African-American middle class to this city. They included the federal government, which um, hired African-Americans for jobs that were considered prestigious and well-paying. Howard University, of course, was the premier African-American university in the nation. Claudia Roth Pierpont. Howard University was of tremendous importance. It had a resident choir. It brought in traveling orchestras and traveling performing groups from all over the country. Uh, there were also there were a couple of big musical extravaganzas in those years. It drew an audience of about 6,000 people to the American League ballpark. And it combined black, uplifting history, theater, pageantry, and music in a way that's very important to Ellington later on in some of the big historical pieces like Black, Brown, and Beige that he performs at Carnegie Hall in 43. There seem to be roots uh, in this kind of presentation way back with these early pre-World War I pageants that took place in D.C. But the music that would grab Duke Ellington's imagination, the music that he would make his own, was that American invention, jazz. Claudia Roth Pierpont. 
Uh, there are also theaters, I think, in the town that just brought in a lot of people. He, I know he first saw the jazz band of Leroy Smith at the Belasco Theater in Washington, and it's at Convention Hall where he first hears his really his musical idol, his piano idol, James P. Johnson, a great Harlem stride pianist who is touring and comes through Convention Hall. It's a famous event because Ellington got up on stage and cut him, as they called it. He got up on stage and played one of Johnson's own compositions, sort of in competition with Johnson, and apparently earned a lot of praise. Kim Roberts. He was finishing high school, taking piano lessons from a, a neighbor of his. Henry Grant was his teacher's name. Duke Ellington was hanging out at some of the juke joints, actually more along the 7th Street neighborhood than the U Street neighborhood, where he was allowed to, to play, even though he was underage, in pool halls. And um, that's how he got his, his start. His first band was called Duke's Serenaders. And he later changed the name of the band to the Washingtonians. Then, as well as now, Washington, D.C. was known for its vibrant musical life. Kim Roberts. A lot of clubs that were big clubs at that time, some of them are still standing. A few of them are still actually operating as clubs, believe it or not. Bohemian Caverns, that opened in the 1920s, that's still operating as a club. That's at uh, the corner of U Street and 11th. Republic Gardens. There were other clubs, uh, the Bali, the Lincoln Colonnade, the Turf Club, Club Louisiana, the Casbah, the Brass Rail, uh, lots of, of clubs. And performers would come from across the country to uh, perform in D.C. We had famously great audiences. And that gave Duke Ellington the opportunity not just to listen to various kinds of music, but to play them as well. Claudia Roth Pierpont. Ellington gets his start musically by uh, putting an ad in the, in the Washington telephone book. And he'd been playing beforehand for a couple of the big bands that played at dances. He only had four players to start with, or, or not many more than that. And he went around and he played. Later on, he spoke about the tremendous variety of music that they played. They would play the popular tunes of the day. They would play cotillion dances, and they would play jazz and blues you know, as a part of an evening. It wasn't a whole evening. It wasn't what they played all the time. I think the extraordinary thing about the musical education he got, and it's something he carried throughout his life, is that it was various. It was different. And this is a tremendously important point, both for Washington in that era and for the kind of music that Ellington wanted to play, that you had conservatory-trained musicians, and there were two black conservatories in Washington, sharing piano dates and sharing respect with musicians who couldn't read a note but who had White Ellington and other musicians called the gut bucket style, the basic unschooled blues style, and that these two schools, to use a, an incorrect but large term, these two kinds of players existed side by side and shared, shared a kind of mutual respect. And Ellington said he carried that with him always. Although Duke Ellington moved to New York City in 1923 and found both national and international renown there, the foundation for his musical artistry came from the neighborhoods of Washington. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the assistant producer. Thanks to our contributors, Claudia Roth-Pierpont and Kim Roberts. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing, performed by Duke Ellington and his famous orchestra. 
It's from the CD, Sophisticated Lady, and used courtesy of Sony Music Entertainment. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at www.arts.gov. Next week, I talk to Denver Mayor John Hickenlooper about the Mayor's Institute on City Design. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.